On Saturday, the 11th of February, 2012, a woman named Becky Mason had the shock of her life. Just before 10 o'clock that evening, after having drunk nearly a whole bottle of wine, she got into her car and drove the five-mile journey to her office. Upon discovering that her office was closed, she got back into her car and drove a short distance before crashing it into a lamppost. When the police arrived, she was miraculously unharmed, but was breathalyzed and arrested for being well over the limit. And yet, reports began to emerge that seemed a little bit strange. She seemed very confused. And why was she in her pajamas? And the security guard at her workplace wanted to know why she turned up to work at 10 o'clock at night on the weekend when the offices were clearly closed. And during the court case, it became clear the confusion around the whole situation was because Becky Mason was in fact asleep the whole time. Asleep when she left her house, asleep when she spoke to the security guard, and asleep when she crashed into the lamppost. It's one of the very rare cases of what is known as automatism. Someone committing a crime when they are asleep. It's what most of us call sleepwalking. Here's the definition on the screen from the NHS, NHS Direct. This is what the definition of sleepwalking is. When someone walks or carries out complex activities while not fully awake. Just out of interest, for those, if you're willing to say so, if you're not, keep your hand down. But if you're willing to say so, has anyone sleepwalked in the room? Look around you, speak to those people afterwards. It'd be fascinating to find out what it was like for them. So here's the question, though. Is it possible to be sleepwalking through life? Doing loads of things, living life, but not really alert to what's going on around you. Not really awake to all that is on offer. Not really alert to what's happening, not vigilant, just drifting through life in reaction versus reaction. Well, as we continue our series in the last book of the Bible called Revelation, there's a series of letters right at the beginning of this to seven different churches. And today we're looking at a church that was doing just that. This is what was said. I don't know if you caught it. Wake up, says Jesus to that church. Their problem is that they're sleepwalking and they don't even know it. Because everyone around them is telling them they're doing really well. Do you see that? You have a good reputation. And I guess for some of us that's true. There's a real temptation here. We live lives for what other people say about us. Maybe you're like that. Everyone looks at your life and they think you've got it all together. Good job, maybe. 
seem pretty happy most of the time. You've got a great friendship group. You've found a partner. You've got a lovely family, a nice house. Very popular. Your reputation is good, but you know. Deep down in your heart, you know. And so you keep up the appearances. Everyone says you're doing well. But if you are honest, you're sleepwalking through life. And there's danger lurking. This happened to me several years ago. And I was floored by a quote that I read. It's on the screen. This is what it's read. A guy called Henri Nouwen, who's died now, was a very successful academic at Harvard. University in America, and he said this, everyone was saying that I was doing really well, but something inside was telling me that my success was putting my own soul in danger. And this church that this letter is writing to in a place called Sardis, what we know as kind of Greece and Turkey, we're not told what the particular problem was for them, But the things that they're doing, the way their life does, it looks good. There's lots of good things. It may even look very religious. Ticking all the boxes. Yeah, they're great. They're doing well. But it's almost as if their external activities aren't quite cutting it. Because inside something is very wrong. And I would imagine that if we were entirely honest with ourselves, with each other, and ultimately before God, there would be quite a number of us in the room that might say something similar. Others would not have the faintest idea, but deep down, we know. We know. And maybe this morning there's an encouragement that there's an opportunity to wake up. So what might we need to wake up to? Well, I want to suggest four things, four examples of sleepwalking that I think some of us may do. Certainly, I know I do. And to illustrate this, these four things, I'm going to give four stories of one particular family that I know. I'm not going to name the family. Uh, I don't think any of you know them, but it's not fair to them. Uh, but this, these stories, four stories, are all involving sleepwalking with one family. They say apparently sleepwalking is genetic sometimes, and it clearly is for this family. But they're fascinating stories. First story is this. They all illustrate something, ways that we may need to wake up. The first was the dad of this family, who was staying in a hotel once and had a very strange dream that they'd punched a hole in the hotel wall. Sure enough, imagine the surprise when he actually woke up in the morning to find a little bit of plasterboard on the bedroom floor, and bloodied knuckles. He had punched a hole in the wall in the hotel. And I wonder if that's an illustration for some of us that deep down in that moment of quiet reflection, we know there are destructive things in our lives, destructive patterns, destructive habits, things that we are involved with that we may or may not be aware of, but we know occasionally we see it and it scares us. It's the first thing we might need to wake up to, those destructive things that we're involved with. The second story is this. The son in this family, when he was sort of late teens, uh, 
a friend of ours, we were all on this camping weekend. We were camping. Uh, and he went to bed first, and my brother was here sharing a tent with him. Uh, and when my brother went into the tent, as he got in, he heard the voice of our friend shouting out, Oi, what are you doing? And with that, lunging towards him to punch him. My brother stepped out of the way in a sort of tent-like knee way, as you do, and fortunately missed it and said, Mate, 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 it's Pete. And at that point, he said, oh, sorry, got back in his sleeping bag and fell fast asleep again. And of course, he was asleep the whole time. Had no memory of it whatsoever. He was sleepwalking. Not walking, just sleep getting out of his sleeping bag. And maybe that for some of us is a reminder that the thing we may need to wake up to is that when we reflect on our own lives, we are quick to attack other people. Not physically, I mean, maybe for some of us, but, but most of us, we're not quick to attack physically, but we are quick to look down on, quick to judge, quick to look at other people's actions and go, mm, see? And it's a little signpost about where we're at, that the state of our soul is one of quick to judge, quick to critique, quick to look at others. That's the second illustration. Maybe we need to wake up to that. Maybe we need to wake up to destructive things, wake up to being quick to criticize others. The third illustration in this family is this. My mate's sister, it was one of those hot summer nights when she was at university, I think in her second year. So hot that it was one of those nights in which she did not wear any pajamas to bed. Imagine the surprise then and the confusion when she woke up halfway down a staircase in her halls of residence without anything on. To this day, she is not sure if anyone saw her. <laughs> and that's the third thing we may need to wake up to. That for some of us, the circumstances that we are putting ourselves in are making us vulnerable. I don't necessarily mean physically vulnerable in any sort of criminal way, although that may be the case for some. But I more mean the people that we let influence us. The dreams of the future that we're aspiring to. The workplace that we know, the culture is one that we're buying into that we know is doing things to us that isn't great. The social circles that we're in are making us vulnerable and kind of drawing us down a path. Or even the social media world that we're in that we know actually doesn't help us and make us thrive at all. Maybe we're making ourselves vulnerable in our soul. That's the third way. So first way, destructive habits. Maybe we need to wake up to those. Second way, maybe we're quick to criticize others, saying something about our soul. Third way is actually we're making ourselves vulnerable. Here's the fourth story from this family. Uh, the final story involves the younger sister. Uh, I told you, sleeping must be genetic. And this story involves a parent's worst nightmare, nearly. When the mum woke up in the morning, pulled back her bedroom curtains to see a ladder going up to the window of her teenage daughter's bedroom and the window wide open. 
she rushed into her daughter's bedroom to find her teenage daughter fast asleep. Upon her actually waking up, the story was told about what actually happened. Teenage daughter, she was about 14 at the time, was asleep and had a dream about jumping out of the bedroom window. And she came to on the ground outside her bedroom window. She had leapt out the window. Fortunately, it was a very gravelly thing, so she was unharmed. She did not want to freak her parents out. So what did she do? She went to the garage to find a ladder. She brought the ladder up in the middle of the night. Parents didn't hear anything, climbed back into her bedroom, went to sleep. End of story. Amazing. <laughs> wow. And perhaps for some of us, that is a little illustration that we might need to wake up to the danger that we are in fact sleepwalking away from home without even realizing. What do I mean? Maybe our patterns of life have even post-COVID meant that we've stopped gathering together with the church family very often. Other things, good things, our work, our wider family, hobbies, activities for our kids, whatever they may be, good things have stepped in. And church used to be a priority, and now it's one activity of many's. And it doesn't seem to be a big issue at first, but deep down, we know. We know. That the passion for a faith that was once vibrant has dimmed. And it may even be that some of you here who've come for the baptisms this morning, you were somebody that you would call yourself a Christian or you may used to have called yourself Christian. And to be honest, even being here is freaking you out a little bit. But you know that even now your heart is beating a little bit fast because maybe you think there are things that are not quite right. Perhaps we need to wake up to the facts that we can't make it on our own. And that's why, friends, church is so crucial. Sunday gatherings, groups. So what about you? What ways do you think you may need to wake up? So what's the solution to all this? Well, the solution was mentioned in the Bible passage. Did you hear it? It's an old school word. Here it is on the screen. Repent. Repent. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that word. It's a pretty old school church word, isn't it? It's kind of hardcore. We have images like this guy on the screen of a sort of street preacher who's kind of hollering at people. Like this photo. It's on the screen, hopefully. Yeah. Old school street preachers. But what does repent actually mean? Well, it simply means a couple of things. It means, firstly, to recognize the problem. Do you see that? Wake up! says Jesus. There is a need to turn around from the direction you're going in. The Bible simply calls that sin, which Lucy mentioned in her video. So turn around and turn towards is the second thing. Turn to the hope, the truth. This is what Jesus says. Remember what you've received and heard. Hold it fast. It's like a soldier doing a march. And then they do an about turn. They're going in one day, their life is going in one trajectory, and it simply means turning around. But not out of condemnation because they're afraid, but actually because they know they're going away from the light and need to turn back towards life and love and hope. That's what it simply means. And that is what we are 
celebrating today as these three people get baptized. Baptism is simply choosing to turn your life around. Turning away from self, turning towards Jesus. And in baptism, it doesn't make people a Christian. It's rather just a picture of what God's done. They're saying, each of them in their own way, are saying, I turn towards Jesus. I choose Jesus. I'm heading towards him in my life. Yes, there'll be moments I meander off, but I'm choosing the declaration of my life. And as they go down into the water, it's kind of like two pictures. One is a bit like going into a grave. Do you know what I mean? You go in there, you can't stay down there. So you come back up to new life, just like Jesus rose again. And the other picture is like a bath. You're going in and you're getting washed clean, forgiven of all of that stuff where we turned against God that we all have in our lives. That's what it means to repent. And it applies to us as individuals. And we're going to have an opportunity to do so in a moment. But it also perhaps applies to us as a church too. Now if you're here and you're not part of Riverside, maybe you're part of another church, fantastic. If you're not part of another church, you'd be very welcome to come here every week or wherever it is. Watch us online, join in, however you feel fit. But I love this quote on the screen because maybe this is a challenge to not just our church, but to the church in the UK and beyond. The church won't see repentance in the world until the world sees repentance in the church. Have we subtly given the impression that we've got life all sorted? Maybe it needs to start with us on our knees saying, God, I'm so sorry. And tonight at our prayer gathering, for those who are regulars at Riverside, we're going to have an opportunity to do that. And so I'd love to see you there. It's a crucial gathering together. Do come along tonight at Riverside House. It's an invitation for us to turn again towards Jesus. But there's a warning here about what happens if we don't. And and I've got to say this. This is not necessarily the things you want to say in church, but this is what Jesus says. And so I reckon he might know better than me. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard it. Hold fast and repent, he says. But if you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief and you'll not know at what time I'll come to you. This would have sounded so loudly for the people in Sardis. Why? Because Sardis was known as a place in which there were two invasions of their city. Where on one occasion, the watchmen who were supposed to be guarding the city walls were asleep. And on another occasion, the watchmen that's supposed to be guarding all the city walls were guarding one particular bit, and invaders got in another bit. And so when they hear, I will come to you, it would have resounded loudly to them. Because they faced a choice, and we face a choice, and it's this. Whose voice do we listen to loudest? Whose voice do we listen to loudest? Is it the voice of everyone around us? Or the voice of Jesus. And it might be that for some of us, even this morning, something has resonated with us. Even reminded us of something in our past. Or actually, even now, we might hear that gentle voice, as it were. Saying, come home. Come home. Might I suggest, in my life, the greatest challenge, I think, is choosing to hear what Jesus says about me and for me rather than what other people say about me and for me. So as we head to a close, 
How might this apply to all of us at different stages of life? Might I suggest, for some of us, maybe those who are young people, you've got an opportunity in your life, at this stage of life, to make a bold choice. To say from this moment forward, I'm going to choose to put Jesus' voice first. Guys, as a generation, you've got the potential to change the world. You'll only do that if you do put Jesus first. Go for it. For them, some others who might be young adults, that's kind of stage of life, students, you're kind of getting into your careers, whatever it might be. You've got a choice. The choice is to settle for a career, partner, all those things. They're good things, but if they're God, we're choosing to listen to other voices rather than Jesus. For others of us, maybe we're parents. We have a choice to settle for our kids being popular and entertained. Or actually to say, I choose to help my children to hear the voice of Jesus first and foremost. For those of us who don't have kids, there's a choice about what we do with our lives, with our time. The opportunity, the temptations, with our money, with our time. For those of us who are single and we wonder if that's going to be the trajectory of our life, there's an opportunity, you have a choice about how you use the unique opportunities that you've got with your time, with your life. For those of us that are retired, a choice to relax, kick back, enjoy the cruise, good things, or whatever it might be. Or an opportunity to invest in the next generation who may go on and change the world. For those who are in the afternoon of life like me, you're past midday. (laughs) We face a choice, don't we? To settle for a life of comfort and ease or to say, Jesus, I'm going to go where you call. Because the potential, friends, as I come to an end, the good news in this is massive because did you hear what Jesus said? For those who do wake up and for those who do repent and for those who do turn to Jesus. Listen, it's on the screen. Here it is. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they're worthy. They're the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. You see two things that are promised? Firstly, dressed in white. In the Roman world, when the kind of Roman army came back, everyone used to dress in white because it was about victory. Yes, they've won. And so here's a reminder for those who do their best and just keep on trying to live for Jesus and keep on clinging on to the good news of Jesus. They're like those celebrating that victory. And the second thing is this. Their names are not blotted out. I love this. Because in the ancient world, if you'd done something wrong in a city, your name could be erased from the records of that city. You had no civic rights. But what Jesus is saying here is for those who wake up, your name is being talked about at the throne of God. I love that. You know those moments in life where important people have been talking about you? Maybe you remember a day at school where the head teacher was saying something positive about you and it kind of fills you. Yeah. Maybe you never had that. I don't know. 
This is a good way that they're talking about not to know them again. Your name will never be blotted out. I once went to a wedding where some people turned up to the reception and their name was not on the list. And it was awkward. For these people, that is not the case, friends. Your name's on the list. Come on. Come on into the party. <laughs> 